3: Welcome to the Animal Voices Radio Show, Western Canada's only radio program dedicated to animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 Co-op Radio, CFRO, here on unceded and ancestral Tooth, Musqueam, and Squamish territories in so-called Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Today is Friday, January 22nd, 2021. I will be your host today, Grace Wampold, and I'll be joined by a couple special guests, including The Cranky Vegan and Kimberly Carroll from Animal Justice. Welcome to the show. So for this week's episode, I've titled it Veganism is More Than a Diet, Activism, Animal Justice, and Veganuary. Because, as you all may know, we are in the third week of January, and every year, vegan activists campaign for people to pledge to go vegan for one month. But is that enough? Will you stay vegan in February? Are you already vegan and not making any changes to your habits this month? But I think as vegans, we're promoting people who are eating meat to make these big shifts in their lives. And if we're not going to be better activists this time of year or all year round, then what is the point of our veganism? So this week, I will be interviewing Kimberly Carroll, who is a coach for Changemakers, a campaign strategist with Animal Justice, and the director for the Animal Justice Academy. The Animal Justice Academy... (sighs) is a free 6-week online advocacy boot camp to empower you to make a better world for animals. Over 80 animal advocacy leaders have agreed to teach for over 40 days of unprecedented learning, community, and collective action. So you can register today at the animaljusticeacademy.com, but check out our show notes, our website or our Facebook page for the links to the registration page. As vegans, it's not just about what we eat on a day-to-day basis. There are large systematic issues that we need to campaign against. Sometimes we go in and out of our ability to be active citizens in the vegan community. We have periods of time where we're extremely vehement and going on the street every single week to make sure that we're fighting against the injustices that are going on in our system. To go off of that this week, we will also be talking to The Cranky Vegan, who does three minute Thursdays on YouTube. The Cranky Vegan is a longtime animal advocate and focuses on rethinking the strategies and tactics of the grassroots animal rights and vegan movement. The Cranky Vegan's real name is Jake, Jake Conroy. And Jake was one of the Shack Seven and was a founder of the grassroots campaign, shack usa he was also a co-founder and vice president of the ocean defense international jake led the first ever disruption of a whale hunt in u.s coastal waters and has co-founded bite back magazine um, and a blog plant based on a budget so if you're into vegan youtube content learning about ways that you can be a better activist or other hot takes on vegan subjects then definitely check out The Cranky Vegan on YouTube. I'm going to link a few other episodes in today's web post. So Cranky Vegan will come and we're going to talk a little bit about how, how as vegans we can be better activists, what he thinks about Veganuary. So our show is packed to help you guys stay motivated in February and continue being compassionate and amazing human beings. Uh, but stay tuned for our conversation.
2: Have you heard about Megaphone magazine? It's an award-winning publication sold on the streets of Vancouver and Victoria by low-income and homeless vendors. When you buy Megaphone, you get entertaining and informative stories written by professional journalists, and you're also helping to empower people in poverty. Here's how it works. Vendors buy each magazine for 75 cents and sell them for $2, keeping the profits. With the money they earn, our vendors are able to buy healthy food, clothing, and other necessities. Plus, they forge valuable connections with their customers. People unable to access traditional employment can earn an income with flexibility and dignity, and feel proud of their contributions to their communities. Don't miss out on this month's edition of Megaphone, chock-full of voices and perspectives you won't find anywhere else. You can find a vendor on the streets of Vancouver or Victoria, Or buy online at MegaphoneMagazine.com
3: And now for this week's news. The feeding of wild coyotes has led to the death of two native coyote individuals in Stanley Park. The Global News reports that the incident began in mid-December, where many people going through Stanley Park reported getting nipped or bitten by these coyotes. One person even had to go to the hospital to get a tetanus shot and some treatment for their bites. After the news came out, a lot of other people were reporting that they'd had similar experiences and that they'd seen other people actually feeding coyotes. They're very charismatic animals, um, and I'm sure that a lot of people feel the same way as me in that regard, that it's hard to see a coyote and not be be impressed and want to get close to it. But unfortunately, there are frequent consequences to feeding wildlife, as we see here. These coyotes learn to approach humans expecting treats, but one person walking through the woods doesn't know the actions of the person before them, and a coyote might approach someone thinking that they will give them food. In Stanley Park, there are more than enough natural food sources for the animals who live there to have no assistance from humans. When you see an animal who looks gaunt or hungry, wanting to feed wildlife, it seems like a good thing. But actually, we need to understand that we're impacting this very complex ecosystem. The best thing we can do for animals like coyotes is to show our respects by letting them live in the wild. I wanted to share a story as well of a coyote that was very close to my community I was working on a farm and this coyote lived in the nearby woods and would often come close to us to either get water or perhaps take a look at the chickens who lived on the land. And recently the coyote was spotted with a severely injured back leg. I was so upset and, and had no idea what to do, but I realized that there was nothing I could do. I can't take this coyote in and take it to the vet traumatizing them and domesticating them. When you see an injured animal, please try to leave it be, don't leave it food. It is important that we show our respects by letting them live and heal on their own in the communities that they're used to, in the areas that they're used to, with the resources that they are used to. If you wanna read more about this, I would go to thefurbearers.com They have daily blogs and have been covering the coyote incidents as well as other incidents regarding human wildlife conflict. So let's help them out by not feeding them and teaching others to let coyotes stay wild. There are a few notable job openings that I wanted to share with everyone today. The very good butcher is now hiring. They are looking for ambitious, team players who want to grow with this fast-paced plant-based industry and they're looking for a variety of different jobs at their facility in Vancouver. So if you're thinking about moving to British Columbia or you're already in BC and need a job that aligns with your values, check out Very Good Butcher. Now if you go to their Facebook page, And I'll link that on our web post and our Facebook page as well. They have two slots to book interviews. One was yesterday, the 21st of January. And then next week on the 28th of January, you can also book your interview. On those days, they also have virtual job fairs. So you can check out all the positions that are opened. I'll write down all of those in this week's web post as well. It's actually quite a few positions, and I don't know if you guys remember from two weeks ago we were talking about The Very Good Butcher because that episode was all about investing. They recently made their company public, so if you're not interested in working there, you could go ahead and invest in stock. Check out Invest Very Good Food if you do want to invest. Plant-based foods are definitely a growing industry, as we can all see. Another job opening that piqued my interest was for the Toronto Vegetarian Association. Their job opening is for the executive director. They are a pro vegan nonprofit out of Toronto, if you are in the Ontario area or looking to move there. And they're seeking someone who's charismatic, love that word, someone who is a vegan has worked in nonprofits before and preferably in an executive director position. So check that out. That will also be linked in today's show notes. Hey Jim, did you know you can adopt a show for less than twenty dollars?
2: Really? So does that mean for a hundred bucks I could adopt a whole month?
3: Yeah, and if you're cheap, you can choose February and just pay 80 bucks.
2: Vancouver Cooperative Radio
3: CFRO 100.5 FM. Hello, welcome back to the show. We're going to start out with Jake Conroy talking about veganuary and then debrief with him. So here we go.
4: Veganuary, uh, the time of the year when plant-based diet advocates encourage people to eat plant-based for a few weeks at major restaurant chains, which the animal liberation movement rolls their eyes at and throws up their hands. And then the animal rights movement continues the debate over what veganism actually is. And welcome, welcome to veganuary. So let's get some things out of the way quickly, right? Right from the jump, I'm happy there are more plant-based options in the world. I'm I'm happy more people are interested in eating plant-based diets. I'm happy there are people that do educational outreach on on plant-based diets and veganism and, and try to get folks to change. I think educational outreach is really important. I also know that despite the statistics and follow-up surveys and everything else Veganuary does, and, and people will tell me in the replies, but there still is no way of telling the effectiveness of, of this month-long push. We don't know what people actually do after January is over, right? Despite what they might mark in a follow-up survey, because peer pressure is a, is a real thing. What we do know is that statistically, people generally go towards a plant-based diet because of their health or because of the environment. And according to Veganuary, they concur with those statistics. According to them, only roughly one third signed up for Veganuary because of animal issues, right? But but to be fair, their stated goal is to get people to go vegan for animals, uh, for the environment, or their health. However, statistics push back on that as well, right? In, in that most people stop being vegan within a year of switching. So one could reasonably deduce that a lot of people generally fall off the vegan bandwagon because it's not political. It's a fad diet or it's, you know, being done for something far removed from them like environmental destruction that's happening halfway around the world. So uh, one has to ask, like, is the stated goal of getting hundreds of thousands to pledge to eat plant-based, kind of, for a month? Like, does it even have a lasting effect? Statistically, we don't really know. But what we can get from statistics is the answer is uh, not really. Veganuary also pushes corporations to provide more plant-based options, right? So Veganuary celebrates and endorses places like KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, Burger King, McDonald's. They play, they endorse and praise these places for adding uh, plant-based menu items for for the the month of January. Again, to be fair, Veganuary does indicate some of those places keep those menu items on for longer than just the month but i mean the real question is like who's buying the items i dove into this a, a bunch a while back when like the impossible Whopper came out and beyond meat went international through all the different markets and the reality of it from what i could find in, in articles and studies is that meat eaters weren't really switching to plant-based items it just meant that more plant-based folks were eating at places where they normally didn't like Kentucky Fried Chicken, like McDonald's, like Burger King. Because in our capitalist systems, it's quite possible for both things to happen without one canceling out the other. Despite vegans everywhere insisting that we are changing the world of demand when it comes to eating animals, it just hasn't really been the case. Despite Veganuary saying their mission is to be diverse and inclusive, that apparently means that they want to embrace conservative politicians. So on their social media, they were excited that a caucus of the Conservative Party in the UK had formed the Vegan Conservatives. 10 MPs basically pledging to eat plant-based for the month. They were doing it primarily for health reasons and environmental reasons. So if you want to dive into like the multitude of problems uh, around this, I would suggest going to check out the blog writing liberation, which puts it way better than I think I possibly could. So check that out. So when people push back on this, like embracing conservative uh, politicians, it doesn't quite fit into the idea of veganism because veganism is a liberatory struggle. Veganuary replied that they were like a non-political organization. Now again, I've gone on about this quite a bit in the past, but I, I always find this kind of kind of funny. Like people that want to keep politics out of veganism so bad, but also seem to like want to really support the idea of conservatives and conservatism and the right being this important demographic in our vegan outreach. Like we need to we need to embrace the right. And we heard this a lot from these like thinly veiled right-wing vegan influencers, like after Trump was elected, right, in the U.S., saying that we need to put politics aside and really embrace the right because they were the majority of the country. You know, interestingly, we don't see those same... Influencers saying now that the majority of the United States have now voted Democrat or left leaning, that we should be really embracing the so called left again since they are now the majority voter in the country. And on a side note, because I love a good side note, I also find it interesting that these same people are influencers when they organize these big outreach events or tours like cubes or week of truths you know where people would fly in from all over the world and travel around or go to one city to do these huge cubes for days on end they always picked like predominantly liberal strongholds right you see like these things happening in San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York City or Berlin you never really saw them like put their money where their mouth was when they organized these things why aren't they organizing a week of truth and say you know little rock arkansas or Jackson, Mississippi, or Montgomery, Alabama. If we really are that good at outreach and value the conservative and value the right-leaning person, let's start doing our week of truths there. That's also where a majority of the animal agriculture is happening. You know, you'd be doing two things at once, destroying animal agriculture on the demand side and also reaching out to your friends on the conservative side of things. Just a thought, but think about it. 2021 uh, strategy plans, work plans coming up. Try to sneak in a little Mississippi-Alabama Arkansas tour. So how much does something like Veganuary cost, right? According to their financial statements in their fiscal year of 2017, 2018, they were looking at spending close to 710,000 us dollars for, for a a month long campaign. But as a recipient of like major donations from like that same venture capitalist who funds million dollar vegan, which also was like a project that the Veganuary folks is kind of one in the same, where they try to get, people like Donald Trump to go vegan and they'll pay him a million dollars. Great idea. Uh, They also fund Joey Carbstrong, they fund Save, Uh, this guy also was the the person that was funding uh, up until recently Anonymous for the Voiceless. So I imagine we'll see that $710,000 annual budget uh, jump upward quite a bit over the next several years. So what does all that mean? Eh, To me it's just like another push to strip down veganism from what it actually is. A philosophy and a liberation struggle it is a movement to bring liberation to non-human animals it's a social justice movement it's rooted in liberation but it's being overrun by people who not only don't understand that but their theories of change are centered in consumerism in capitalism in the idea that if we make something profitable and entertaining enough for an individual, it will override and destroy some of the biggest and most influential industries in the world. If we can just get enough people to buy the things we want them to buy more than what the other people want them to buy, we win. And the reality is, that's just not how social change happens. I do think Veganuary is, as I often say, the symptom of a bigger problem. It is this watering down of a social justice movement. It is turning a struggle into a money-making opportunity for a handful of people and influencers and for corporations that we, at one point, used to fight against. And to me, that's even more reason that why we, as animal rights activists, as animal liberationists, as vegans, we need to continue to speak up and we need to keep fighting.
3: Oh, it's great. Now let's go into our conversation
5: on this conversation. This is a time of year where people are making really big resolutions and not always thinking about what they've done in the past or how they can be critical in their buying decisions. I think it's really hard this time of year when you see signs for exciting new vegan products, but that's not mm-hmm. necessarily the point. Um, <laughs> Veganism?
1: With Veganuary, it is this idea of kind of like capitalizing on, you know, this idea of New Year's resolutions and kind of taking advantage of that concept to get people to think about plant based eating. I think part of the problem is, though, is that we we often, or Veganuary anyway, often, you know, misunderstands that concept of what veganism is. And I think they brand it as veganism when it really is you know, pushing people to become more plant-based, which is fine. Like, I don't, you know, if that's how, what you want to do with your activism, that's, you know, I don't have a problem with it, but I, I do think there needs to be, like, a better understanding of what they're trying to achieve and what the vegan movement and the animal rights movement is trying to achieve. And so I think, you know, we often look at, you know, who buys these products um, and, and when these products are launched, how much new business these corporations get. I think it's pretty eye-opening and kind of tells a really important story. You know, a lot of these people that, you know, shop at or eat at places like Burger King or McDonald's or, you know, any of these other places that are doing these vegan, veganuary. There are people that are plant based diet people, flexitarians, reducitarians, and vegans that are like, oh, I want to try this new vegan food. And then they go to a place like Burger King and McDonald's. And therefore, you know, it's a win win for these corporations, right? They stick, they, they get to keep their, a large group of people that eat there regardless and they eat animals there but they also gain new customers or rather uh, eating at places like mcdonald's and or can caves here is embraced um, because of things like veganuary and i think we often lose sight of like what we are trying to achieve as a vegan movement and an the animal rights movement
5: I gave some really great statistics on the efficacy of vegan- veganuary um and i was just curious like what you want to see from vegans and what you think would be successful as far as campaigning and going forward in 2021 when we're living in kind of this new age of activism online
1: Yeah, I think my opinion on what I would like vegans to do is is controversial and most vegans don't like it. So (laughs) (laughs) I do think uh, I think what I would like vegans to do more of is care less about veganism. I just I don't think that like vegan outreach and getting people to eat plant based and become vegan is necessarily the uh, the silver bullet to end this problem that we are fighting against the the exploitation of animals. Um, I'm much more interested in creating activists and getting people on board to fight for animals. Um, and then I think when people start to do that, they realize that veganism and eating plant-based is important and should be a part of their lives. And so I, I, I think you know, if you create activists, then you end up creating vegans. And so I, I, for me, I would love to see people worry less about what people are eating and worry more about what people are fighting against. I think there's loads of people... Uh, in the world, all around the world, that fight for animals, but they eat them too. And I know that's weird and and confusing. It doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't make it any less true. But I think if we do start to accept that, we start to open the doors to make our movement bigger and better and stronger. Um, and if we recognize that educational outreach, getting people to think about plant-based eating and veganism is a tactic rather than a strategy, um, I think then we start to Realize that we have the ability to do both at the same time. We have the ability to pressure corporations and change industries and sectors while at the same time creating vegans. But the opposite way around, the idea of what we currently do, focus predominantly on demand by saying if we just create enough vegans, the industries and sectors will collapse, is just not a real not a real thing that's going to happen. It's just not. But yeah. when you're doing vegan outreach like that, you can't. You're not also putting pressure on industries and companies and sectors. You're just not. Um, But if you do it the other way around, I think you do. And so for me, I'd much rather see people start picking realistic targets and winnable targets and start pressure campaigns against those places and allow people to work on those campaigns, regardless of their dietary decisions, um, to remove that moral baseline. We'll have more successful campaigns. And then at the same time, we can start to outreach to those people and say, hey, you might be fighting for... A veal calf, or a dog in a cage, or a circus, or an elephant in a circus, but they're the same as a chicken or a pig that you're eating, and we can start making those connections and putting those pieces together, um, and building vegans and building our movement at the same time.
5: Yeah, I mean, when we talk about animal liberation, it started out for me as well, mostly fighting for just that, but realizing that mm-hmm. a lot of vegans are really overall fighting systems of oppression, and when you begin as an activist I feel like you can only break down the system that you're working within and it's it makes sense that a lot of people would go for getting vegan options because we're within a capitalist society but then as you see the hierarchy and how it operates it's the whole system that needs to be dismantled and reconsidered that you shouldn't necessarily be trying to play that game and keep putting money in the pockets of the same people because that's only going to continue animal suffering or exacerbate it in different ways that you didn't maybe expect.
0: I mean, I
1: I enjoy a a vegan option as much as the next person. Don't get me wrong. You know, I do think that like there is value in like, you know, everyday people feeling comfortable to and and having the ability to eat plant-based foods. But again, I I don't think that's what's going to achieve the things we want to achieve. Like, presuming that you are interested in animal rights and animal liberation. So yeah, I think like, again, outreach and and getting vegan options and all those things are fine tactics, but I don't think as a strategy, as a whole strategy of like, oh, if we just get enough vegan options, then we'll get enough people interested in plant-based eating. And if we get enough plant-based eaters, then we'll affect the demand. And then like the largest corporations in the world will just collapse because we've moved the needle from 2% of the population to 3% of the population eating plant-based like it just doesn't work that way it's never worked that way
5: yeah um are there any like specific campaigns this year uh that kind of got you excited or anything on your horizon that you want to share
1: yeah there's um there's always campaigns going on that i think are cool a group now called CAFT, coalition against the fur trade usa against a designer that used fur which is kind of a big deal and they started a campaign against her and within two weeks they um They got her to drop fur altogether, and now they're moving on to some new targets. So I think that's exciting. I think um, the campaign to ban fur in Wesley, Massachusetts is exciting, simply because it was just started by, like, one or two people that were like, hey, we want to ban fur in our city. Um, And they just went ahead and did it. And they're the first city outside of California to have done it. Animal Rights Alliance in Sweden is doing some really great work around the fur issue. Direct Animal Action in New Zealand, they're doing really smart campaigns, and they're winning. Against uh, mega farm projects, and now they're working on uh, the rodeo. Um, yeah, so I think there there is some some cool campaigns going on. There's people doing good work. I think when people look at that and they think, well, it's just fur, it's just this, or just that. I think the important thing to recognize is that these people are being realistic about what they're capable of accomplishing. And I think that's, again, something that we often fail to do in the animal rights movement. But they're looking at what they want to change, and they're looking at it strategically and thoughtfully and with a realistic lens. And they're going out there and they're doing it, and they're winning. Um, And I, I think that's what we need more of.
5: It can be hard to hone in on a realistic campaign or one thing when you do care about so much. And I feel like especially this year with fur and what's happening with mink farms, we are seeing that there are links to, you know, obviously zoonotic diseases, and a lot of people who who aren't vegan are making that connection and saying maybe we need to ban fur. So even in relationship mm-hmm. to that, that's a really relevant uh, campaign example of, regardless of your eating habits, fur is just something that we shouldn't be using anymore. And
1: I think with COVID as well, we're seeing, um, like, a, a big push to, to get rid of, like, live markets and things like that. Yeah. And I think people look at that and, well, that's speciesist or that's, you know, that's one baby step that's not doing anything. But I mean, if you could live in a world that didn't have fur anymore or didn't have live markets, why would you not want that? Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't exactly what you wanted it to be because it's not your end goal. But I think, you know, if we start recognizing that we have to take steps towards our, our greater end goal, mm-hmm. um, if we start to realize these things are really important to do. You are listening to Animal Voices on Vancouver's Co-op
3: Radio, 100.5 FM CFRO. 100%
6: listener-sponsored radio broadcasting live from the east side on unceded Coast Salish territories.
5: And now for
3: this week's feature interview with Kimberly Carroll from the Animal Justice Academy. She's a campaign strategist with Animal Justice. We'll be talking about what the Animal Justice Academy is and really just talking about why we need to be more involved. So as we step out of January, it's important to stay active as vegans and to make sure that not just in January do we celebrate veganism and do really great actions to make sure that the animals are considered. So here it is.
5: Stay tuned. How's your week been?
0: Despite the fact that I've had very little sleep in the last month, I am just still really pumped. So that's a good sign. I, I, cu- I couldn't do it at this pace for too much longer, but but I, I can do it for another, another few weeks anyway.
4: Yeah,
5: which hopefully we can get into as well as we talk yeah. about what animal justice is and what it's trying to provide. Um, yeah the topic of burnout is definitely relevant. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: it certainly is. And I, you know, that's the only thing that keeps me somewhat from, you know, like going overboard is, is I, I have to practice what I preach, right?
5: <laughs> you want to just share a little bit about what Animal Justice is, what the Academy is? So Animal
0: uh, Justice Academy is is a brand new initiative that has been um, uh, brought forth Via uh, Animal Justice. So Animal Justice in Canada, we are um, leading the the legal fight for animal protection in Canada. What the Animal Justice Academy is, uh, is a free six week online training boot camp, uh, basically to empower people to make a better world for animals. And in a way that's right for them. So we were at Animal Justice, um, we were just finding that we were getting a little frustrated because we had so many amazing people wanting to volunteer for us every year. Like hundreds of people would email to volunteer for us. And then we were also noticing that when we would do a big campaign, we would get thousands of people saying, can't we do more? And so we went, what a shame to not be using all of these people who care about animals. The only way that laws change is if public sentiment change and public sentiment gets very loud and and bold and clear. And so we thought if we don't, that part of the equation, then there's no passing laws. <laughs> so we thought, what if we put together a really comprehensive program for um, people who are animal uh, lovers or are, are animal advocates, but really want to sort of make more impact? How about we like take them from A to Z and give them all the skills that they need to be able to do something on their own? That wherever they are, whether that is in the northwest. territories or whether it is on an island, you know, off of uh, BC, we want to be able to give people an opportunity to do animal advocacy in a way that works for them.
5: Each week, there's a suite of different people who are going to be putting on different talks. And I like how um, it really does build on causes and people can enter through what is relevant to them whether that be the political system or taking action or even understanding and being able to empower themselves so I wanted to speak about that what made you decide the layers and beyond that I mean it's free I almost don't even need to ask why it's free because this work is so so important but for all those going out and listening to this we have until the 25th I believe correct to register is that right
0: Yeah, I mean, we're going to keep registration Mm -hmm. open. But if if you want to have the full experience, um, you're going to want to be there on day one. It's not just going to be a program, but it's going to be a community. Um, Also, the live panels that we're going to have twice a week, Tuesday, Tuesdays and Thursday evenings um, are going to be interactive where you're going to be able to ask questions. And we are also even going to be doing breakout groups so that you can have smaller group sort of um, experiences and and maybe make some uh, allies and, you know, come up with some ideas.
5: So with that too, because it's January and obviously a lot of people talk about going vegan in the new year. But as vegans, I think that the work isn't done for us now that we've made that shift. And I'm I'm feeling like this year especially that January, is a great time of year for us to reinvigorate ourselves as activists in the vegan community. So I wanted to ask you about that, how the timing of it, whether you decided now for that reason or moving forward through January what is it that you kind of wanted to get out of this for for those people who make the connections who know how to be an activist I wonder if you could talk on that that's a
0: great (laughs) question uh Grace I So that is one of the things, you know, approaching this program. Uh, We definitely wanted it to be a program that was accessible to people who were just getting their feet wet in advocacy. Um, But we also wanted it to be um, full, you know, enough for it to be something that that will really feed people that are already veteran advocates. For people that, are, um, that have been animal advocates, I mean, I know for me, I've been, uh, I've been an animal advocate uh, for 15 years now and, and veg for 24. And I still know that there are a lot of gaps in my knowledge. I approached it from a, a point of view of, you know, if I were trying to build like a powerful animal activist, how would I start? Well, I'd start with the foundation. And then I'd give them sort of those 101 ways on how to, you know, reach out to people and talk to people and, and and to be aware of your community. And then I'd probably show people that you could get politically active and how powerful that would be. And then maybe I'd get really fancy with, you know, doing demos and uh, disruptions and things like that. And, and then maybe I'm going to amplify that with media. So I'm gonna have a week of media. And then at the end of all of that, you're going to have um, somebody who is very immersed, very committed, but might be facing a little bit of burnout. So we've got to make sure that these folks are also taught how to take care of themselves so that they can be doing this work for a very long time and in a very effective way. So that's the six weeks of the program I basically took you through. And so for me, as an, as an activist who didn't have a lot of resources when I started, this would have been the ideal program for me. <laughs> we also discussed the fact that what do we want the community look to look like? How would we like to shape the community a little bit? Well, we would love to see more diversity in our animal rights community. So we have, um, you know, a, a module on supporting racial equity in the AR movement. We're doing um, a panel around um, how uh, we can work with Indigenous uh, rights activists on animal protection initiatives, You know, have a very diverse slate of speakers. Um, I'm very excited about all the different viewpoints that we're, we're working with. Um, I mean, we are doing a module on animal justice equals food justice equals social justice. So we're really trying to weave that in there so that we can, as a community, grow into an even more inclusive uh, community. That's an integral part of, of, of our growth right now. I feel that as a community, I feel very passionate that we grow into. And that is, you know, how do we become truly compassionate and and empowered activists? Um, how do we find a way to work from a place of expansiveness as opposed to contractedness, in a way that we're able to again, do the most powerful, inclusive work possible um, and for and, and, and in a sustainable way so that we're not um, getting felled by compassion fatigue and burnout?
5: I noticed too, one of the confirmed panelists is Salish Rao, who we had on the show earlier in the year. Uh, and mm-hmm. he his work discusses this metamorphosis that you go through as a vegan, mm-hmm. especially this time of year with those people who have made some sort of connection to their food, that maybe it starts out thinking that you want to better yourself, or maybe you want to be more aligned with mm-hmm. your morals, uh, but through these processes yeah. you learn how it is a full body, full mental metamorphosis becoming and being empowered and reinvigorated into your activism, so... I was excited to see that name. Are there any other names or people that you're super excited about specifically over the six weeks?
0: Yeah, lots. lots. Uh, I mean, I don't even know where to start. I mean, there's some that are really well-known people and then there's some that aren't so well-known, but I'm super excited because I just know what a wealth of knowledge they are. Um, so it's hard to decide, you know, who to feature. And also, sorry, Grace, you asked me why January. And I think he, uh, you you nailed it. I mean, we knew that January was a time that not only people were going to be wanting um, to, you know, strengthen something, uh, strengthen their resolve. It, it's also January during a lockdown. <laughs> what else are people going to do? Right? So it, it's kind of worked out OK for us in that way. But as far as um, speakers go, well. I love, um, I, just, uh, did, did our, this module with Melanie Joy, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she is just amazing. So Dr. Melanie Joy is, is uh, a psychologist. Uh, she is the creator of the idea of carnism. who really is, is the foremost uh, psychologist in, uh, the area of vegan advocacy and animal advocacy. So I think she's, uh, she's just a delight. Uh, I, I love a badass vegan, John Lewis. I, I just think he, we need more of him in this movement. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows him sort of as 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 a Funny, sassy, you know, take no shit kind of, you know, person. But he is just a very wise activist in so many ways. So he's going to have um, some incredible stuff to share. Uh, we also have um, uh, members of Parliament, uh, Elizabeth May, um, you know, former uh, uh, Green Party leader, but head of the Green Party in Parliament, and then of course one of our our wonderful friends, Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, who's just been such a champion for animals uh, in the Canadian government. Uh, I mean, we have super activists like. Anita Kreintz and Jenny McQueen and Amy Serrano uh we have Gwenna Hunter from uh Vegans for Black Lives Matter she's just incredible so I'm excited to have her um involved uh, Dr. Tushar Mehta not only is he an expert in health but he's an expert in the environment and and I'm kind of excited about this one um um, Dave Meslin. I don't know if you know Dave Meslin, but he's uh, an electoral reform expert, quite well known in the political scene. Uh, and we're going to have him join us to talk about why electoral reform is something that is really important to the animal rights movement. Um, so yeah, so a real cross section of, of people and topics we're going to be doing topics everywhere from, you know, how to have a good meeting with your political representative to how to do, um, like letters to the editor that get published and opinion pieces that get published. We have a module about getting vegan products on menus and shelves. So again, a really simple thing, but that can go a long way. How do you get more vegan products in your grocery store, your local restaurant? You know, uh, it sounds simple, but how to create impactful social media. I mean, we're all doing social media. How many of us are doing it? Well, um, so we actually have our, um, our communication specialist, uh, Shannon Nickerson at Animal Justice. She's taking us a oh, really rich uh, module in that. Uh, we're going to be doing protest planning, you know, the nuts and bolts of how to put a protest on and also, you know, knowing your rights as an activist. I think every activist who's doing any kind of, well, just any kind of advocacy in, a- anywhere should know their rights.
5: Moving forward, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the things that people can expect especially from you and your work, Mm -hmm. it's really lucky that we have you on the show because um, I would say that you're an expert in not only processing and kind of the, the, I would say some people would call them softer skills, Mm -hmm. but those bridging strategies. If you could talk a little bit about what are bridge building strategies? uh,
0: Tommy Raskin, the late Tommy Raskin, he said, I don't want to be part of a vegan club. I want to be part of a vegan world. And that really hit me. And I just went, yeah, that's what it's all about. And so I feel that as an animal advocate, we need to be working as if everyone is an ally not everyone is an enemy, but everyone is a potential ally. Sorry, I I should say potential ally. They're not an ally necessarily to start with, but a potential ally. And if you look at everybody as a potential ally, you are going to interact with them differently. You're going to approach them differently. You're going to use a different strategy as opposed to you suck, you know, get out of my face because of course the suffering that we witness as animal rights activists with animals and at such a gargantuan rate is enough to like really make us rage all the time it's but the fact is we can't rage okay if we actually are doing this for the animals and not just our own sense of self you know injustice we need to find a way to be much more strategic much more skillful and we need to find a way to do this work from a place I'd say of compassion of love of expansiveness up I'm not saying that we can't feel angry or sorrowful. In fact, we have to. I mean, we wouldn't be human. We wouldn't be real. We wouldn't be feeling if we didn't. We need to find ways to process those feelings. We need to find a, a healthy, constructive way of being able to take that anger and being able to s- take that sadness and feel it in in, in a way that, it, that we can move through um, and that we don't live there. That allows us to be just a little bit more sort of open and expansive to do this really important work for animals. So I really do try to look at people that way because I know myself, I wasn't a bad person before I became a vegan, but I had an incredible applying spot. I mean, because of where I grew up and I grew up in the farm country and all that sort of thing, I just, I was a bit brainwashed. So it took quite a bit for me to see, see what was really happening and and, and have enough um, courage to care about it. And so I, ha- I remind myself on a regular basis when I look at somebody wearing a Canada goose jacket and, you know, my blood pressure starts to go up or, or you know, digging into chicken wings. I just go, I was that person. I was that person. Okay. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to speak up. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to speak up boldly sometimes and loudly and persistently. But I'm always going to do it with some understanding. I'm never going to make them the enemy. I'm going to look at them like if. If there's enough people who approach them in the right way, um, eventually they, they will probably be our ally. You know, it's, it's going to tighten the vegan club and not build the vegan world.
5: And I find, too, there, yeah, there's so many people that are struggling to admit and grapple with the fact that they have been lied to. And it's, it takes a lot of courage to admit that there are parts of your life that need to be rethought or reconsidered.
0: Yeah, it's it's really hard to listen to something that implicates you in something really horrible, right? It's hard to be the bad guy. And and so one of the things that I often, you know, talk to people about is is in sharing um you you, you know about veganism or animal rights. You know, I really do try to come from that point of view of, hey, I was in your shoes and, and then this is what I discovered, And this is to just really come from that place. Like, I know, I know, I love, I loved meat. Like I was a big meat eater, you know? And then I just say, but I was also a big animal lover. And there was just a day when my love for animals got a little stronger than my love of meat, you know, and then it wasn't so hard. It was actually a lot easier than I thought it would be. So, you know, it's that kind of conversation that brings the walls down because as soon as you point a finger and say, you bad, you know, of course, nobody's going to listen, the walls go up and, you know, 360 around them, there's a fortress, you know, and, and so I always sort of work by the adage, you know, the moment that you judge someone is the moment you lose um, the ability to influence them. So, you know, to be able to, again, look at people, um, and I know it's hard. And believe me, I, I still get angry, I still, I still have incredible sadness and sorrow, I'm never going to not have that. Um, But I've got tools now that help me, you know, work through them fairly quickly. Um, Again, not tools to ignore them or repress these feelings. These are real feelings. They need to be dealt with. Okay. I'm never going to advocate that, but tools that um, will help you move through these emotions without um, hurting yourself or others, basically, emotionally or physically, and so I think it's important for for all activists to have that sort of um, tool tool case um, toolkit, sorry. And um, and I and I also do think that anything in in one's life that helps you to um, grow your level of compassion. Uh, and a lot of animal advocates would say, well, I'm I'm so compassionate. That's why I'm an animal advocate. Well, you're compassionate to one. Section of society. And yet all these other people are excluded, which is exactly what we're trying to fight against. Right. Um, And so it's about trying to find ways to grow your overall compassion for others. And this is a huge one as far as I'm concerned and yourself. You know, I, I really do feel if if we can't bring a degree of of gentleness and um, appreciation and and love for ourselves, we are not going to have enough fuel in our tank to bring it to others. So you know, whether that is whether that means just uh, as an advocate, just speaking a little kind more kindly to yourself, you know, to just say, hey. I know you didn't get that done, sweetie, but you can't do everything. Okay. Like, look at what you did do. I was pretty good. Or, Hey, I I know that you weren't able to do that, but, I understand you're really tired right now. Maybe you just need to rest because when you rest, you're able to rise up and you're able to be so much more powerful. Okay. So let's take a break. So even if you don't take some rest time and self care for yourself, do it for the movement. Okay. Do it because a cranky, you know, exhausted, like no fuel in the tank person with no zip and no like sense of compassion, no good for the movement. You will, you will, actually do more harm to the environment to the movement however if you are you know are, are working on the things that make you um sort of um, captivating and or make you present or make you really uh, focused um or you know bring some sort of light in your eyes or really make your mind sharp all those those are what are, are going to bring this movement to the next level so, and that requires,
5: all, that requires you do self-care. That, that requires you is, taking care of as your as mind, well, it, it, you it, it, your body, and, and, and your I'm heart. And emotions. I used to work at a tea shop and I met this woman and I mentioned to her, you know, that the soy milk option is a really, is a really great option. And, uh, and she looked at me and she said, are are you vegan? And I said, yeah, I am. And, and I'm, I'm really serious about it. And, and I love talking about it. If you have any questions, let me know. And she went, you know, I was vegan for over a decade and, last year my mother died and I couldn't take care of myself anymore and all of my self-care went out the window and and I stopped being vegan for a little while I just couldn't do it and I think that what you're saying Mm -hmm. too reminded me of that that when you can't care for yourself how are you going to care for the animals how are you going to care for for other people at all so in that Mm -hmm. moment she said to me you know after today I think I'm you really invigorated me and I hope to come back, and I hope to be, you know, mm-hmm. fully back vegan the next time I see you. So, just keeping that light and uh, being open to hearing people's stories is really important. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and the way that you were speaking obviously resonated with her she would have gone scurrying the other way you know the way that you were was something that made you accessible to her and so and again I'm not saying we all have to be sweet and polite we can be loud and we can have a sign on a street but it's got to be motivated by a sense of love and connection as opposed to hate and division. And, um, and you know, Grace, you brought up a, another really interesting point that sort of brings us back to intersectionality. And, and you said when people don't have the bandwidth, like when they're just in survival mode, how are they supposed to take care of themselves? But also, how are they supposed to care about others? And so, you know, that's a, a big piece, I think, of why um, our support of other movements is so important, because we need to help, you know, people that are are marginalized in various ways, feel much more um, uh, empowered. They, you know, feel like they're safer, feel like they, you know, um, that they can move in this world in a, in a much sort of uh, freer, more uh, empowered way. And I do believe that w- when people sort of start moving in that direction, they their level of compassion can then get even more expansive. Their circle of compassion can spread out. So... So you know, not only should we support other movements just because it's the right thing to do, um, but in the end, if if we want more people to care about animals, we we need to get them into a place where they have the bandwidth. You know, um, uh, a lot of us have the privilege of of not having to worry about those things, so we can take on something else outside of ourselves like animal rights. But a lot of people they're just so busy fighting day to day for what the, you know for their space that they just don't have the bandwidth for it. So, so so, you know, in helping other movements, we create more bandwidth. And, you know, we hope that, that some of that bandwidth will include, again, widening those circles of compassion.
5: So how can people connect with you? How can people connect with the Animal Justice Academy?
0: Well, let's start with me. Um, you can find me at kimberlycarol.com. And, uh, and Grace, actually, uh, you know, talking about some of those tools, I, I have a little free five part video course that people can sign up for. It's 15 to 20 minute videos um that include pain processing tools. So the things that we were just talking about. Uh, productivity tools, bridge building tools, all that sort of thing. Um, So if they can't wait for week six of the Academy, then they can get started with that. You know, main place I want people to go, of course, is the Animal Justice Academy website. And that's animaljusticeacademy.com, nice and easy. And there you can officially enroll in the program. All you need is your first and last name and your email. You will just be sent a a little notice that says you have been enrolled. So animaljusticeacademy.com.
5: And then I guess just to close it out, if there's anything else you want to add, or any goals that you want to share for the new year. Um,
0: so as of uh, so in the first 24 hours of Animal Justice Academy opening its enrollment doors, we had a thousand people sign up. And by the time the program starts on the 25th, I'd like 4,000 people enrolled. That's my goal.
5: We will share all those links on the web post, too. So it can go to animalvoices.org, and we'll have that in the show notes as well. And and there are so many topics, too, Grace.
0: Uh, I didn't even do any of them justice or the speakers. There's so many that are going through my head. Oh, I forgot to say that person, that person.
5: I mean, it's difficult. There's pushing 100 people that are going to be involved. So, I mean, (laughs) we don't have time on the show to name everyone Yeah. Yeah, so thank you so much for your time. Thank
0: you, Grace. Thanks so much. It's been a while since I've been on Animal Voices. It's been a few years, so it's nice to be
5: back. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and I hope you have a very exciting but productive and heartwarming week overall. I guess six weeks.
0: (laughs) Okay, that sounds great. You have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you in the Academy,
3: okay?
5: Yeah, you too. Okay,
3: bye. Bye-bye. That is it for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed our feature interview. If you're just tuning in now, I was speaking with Kimberly Carroll from the Animal Justice Academy. You've been listening to Animal Voices radio show on 100.5 FM co-op radio on Unseated and ancestral tsleil waututh Musqueam, and Squamish territories in so-called Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Please join us for next week's show on January 29th, the last Friday of the month. This has been a jam-packed show, and I don't have much outro time because of that. Definitely, we here at Animal Voices would love to stay connected with you. So if you want to hear more about this week's show, connect with us, or get those links to all the things we've talked about, go to animalvoices.org. Our past podcasts are also available on Apple Podcast and Google Play, so you can subscribe to us there and never miss a show. Join our Facebook page or join us on Instagram at Animal Voices Vancouver. And if you want to get in touch with us, let us know what you are doing or send along some show segments suggestions. You can send us a note on Facebook or send us an email at info at animalvoices.org. And yes, we do have a Twitter animal voices yvr so check us out there i've had a lot of fun this week talked to a lot of super cool people i'm gonna end the show with courtney burnett's song dead fox from her debut album sometimes i sit and think and sometimes i just sit it was released in 2015 and this is one of the albums that i've probably listened to more than any other album over the years so please enjoy it. It's all about the environment. Definitely pay attention to the lyrics and stay tuned for Radio Shock with Alex Smith coming up right after this. Thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices today. Stay safe inside and remember to be kind to the animals.
6: cheap stuff at the supermarket but they're all pumped up with shit. A friends told me that they Sometimes I think a single sneeze could be the end of us. My hay fever is turning up, just swerved into a passing traffic business overtaking without indicating.